Hello, and welcome to the Death Culture Podcast with me, Mary Jane. I'm a registered nurse and the owner of MJD Legal Nurse Consulting. In the medical community, just culture refers to this idea that when errors occur, they should be examined closely and without judgment. It, to be honest, most errors, especially the larger ones, do not happen in a vacuum. So if we truly take a deep look at all the events leading up to an error and the factors at play, we can usually spot the weak link in the processes and hopefully prevent future errors from occurring. That's exactly what we'll be doing here in this podcast. Over the course of my career, I've reviewed hundreds of medical-related cases as a resource for attorneys across the country. I aim to use that experience, as well as my experience as a practicing registered nurse, to analyze medical-related cases, explore what went wrong, and perhaps learn what we can do in the future to save lives. Hello and welcome to the Just Culture podcast with me, Mary Jane Duquette. I have been talking to a lot of nurses recently and for one aspect or another, and I also had a recent conversation um, with the podcast with another nurse and the topic of burnout is coming up time and time and time again. And I know this isn't just related to healthcare and the nursing profession, which by the way, is the context that I'm going to use for this discussion. But I want you to know that this, this extends to all areas of profession. And um, I'll explain why when I uh, go over some of the information. But if you are working as a nurse or a doctor or another healthcare provider, and you're not feeling well, and you're having um, the symptoms that I mentioned here, it's very important to stop and realize that you are having signs of burnout and really take an inventory and really take a step back and see what needs to change and take care of you and take care of your mental health because that's most important. I personally believe from talking to every travel nurse that I've spoken with to people who have left bedside altogether or people who are looking for ways to leave the bedside, it's because they're burnt out. It's because they're burnt out. Um, so what is burnout? That's the first question. We should define it. It is actually listed in the diagnosis codes, um, guide, the ICD 10 or 11. Um, it's not listed as a medical condition. It's listed as an occupational phenomenon. So something that happens to you for, through work. And according to the World Health Organization, the definition of burnout is as follows. Burnout is a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It is characterized by three dimensions, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job and reduced professional efficacy. So isn't that nursing in a nutshell, right? You're under stress all the time. It's stress that we signed up for when we became nurses. It's stress that happened to us and increased because of COVID. It's stress that 
employers are putting on us, it's stress that the system is putting on us, the patients are putting on us. We are stressed the night before we go to bed until I don't even know, we get a vacation or something because I, stress never ended for me. And I actually had a really severe um, burnout and ended up really sick um, from all of the stress and everything and had to leave clinical nursing for a little while to heal. Um, so it can be, it, even though it's not characterized as a medical condition, the chronic stress can lead to medical conditions. Um, you know, stress is really the number one killer in the United States. They have it listed as things like heart attack, um, stroke, different, different ailments. It can show up different ways, but really the symptom that we miss first is stress. And stress related to your workplace is leads to burnout. I mean, how many of you have ever met um, or heard the term jaded nurse, right? She's so jaded. Or nurses have a sick sense of humor, right? And so we'll joke about things that people probably would be appalled at. And it's because uh, you have to deal with stuff, right? You have death all around you. You have people who are out of their minds, uh, altered mental status, and people just doing crazy things, and people attacking you, and people abusing you, um, and all the pressures that you're under to perform and to get everything done on a certain time, as fast as you can, as safe as you, and you want to do it as safe as you can, um, it just really takes a toll on you. It really does. And that's kind of where we're at, right? So you can only take so much, right? And I feel like nursing for years, centuries, I don't know, since the beginning of nursing time, we've been a profession that was designed to pick up the slack, right? So, you know, the times of Florence Nightingale, the doctors are in the military and they have all these patients with amputations and they're, you know, injured in the war and they have all these people and they're getting sick and sick and they're dying. Well, Florence Nightingale came through and she realized some things like, let's wash our hands. We won't share germs with them. We're going to keep them from getting infections. Let's give them light. Let's give them a bright and cheery place to be. And she really built nursing on this premise of let's look at this patient let's look at this person let's treat this person yes this is a person with a busted leg awesome cool good for that person's busted leg but that person also needs light and they need somebody to see them and they need somebody to hold their hand while their wound wound care is being done it's not just a task to get done it's a person who's experiencing this and you have to treat that person you have to treat that person who has emotions, who has fear, who is scared, who has a soul, who the energy around that person, whether they're going to heal fully and quickly matters. And that's where nursing started. That's what Florence Nightingale was teaching us. However, we've taken it to be wash your hands, uh, make sure that you are, you know, you're getting things done. And nursing became this kind of catch-all for everything, right? Because we're with our patients the most. You're, you're in the hospital. There's 24 hours in a day. You've got two nurses. You have 
one on the day shift for 12 hours, one on the night shift for 12 hours. The doctor comes in, depending on the, where you are, you might be in the ICU, they'll come in twice a day unless you have an issue, or you might be just on the floor, like maybe you had surgery and you're just spending the night for observation. The doctor's going to come see you once, and then they'll see you the next day before they let you go. So it's the nurse who is supposed to be the one to catch any complication that comes up. The quicker, the sooner we catch it, the, the better off you'll be. So we need to be monitoring our patients really closely. And we need to be giving you your medicine. We need to be teaching you how to take your medicine because you're going to go home and you're going to be like, I've never had blood pressure medicine. What do I do with this? I don't even know. How do I manage it? What dose do I take? How do I read this bottle? There's a lot of different things that you would think a nurse is supposed to do. But the nurse is also the catch-all because if housekeeping's behind and they can't get to clean the rooms, well, guess whose job it becomes to clean the rooms? It's the nurse. The nurse has to, they'll tell you, oh, make sure you're cleaning your room, make sure you're doing this, that, and the other thing because patients are complaining, the rooms aren't clean, the trashes aren't emptied, and housekeeping is short-staffed. So nursing, you go ahead and you clean the room and you pick it up. Um, your unit is short CNAs, which the CNA is huge in the team of healthcare. So huge. I know it looks like they might be the person to bring you your ginger ale and they might be the person to bring you your food when your tray comes and they might be there to help get you cleaned up and get you dressed and get you washed up. But those are the things that matter when the patient leaves the hospital, they're not going to remember that so-and-so gave them their antibiotics and assessed them and charted and documented. Those aren't the things that the people really pay attention to. The things that the people care about are, I had to sit, nobody came to get me to the bathroom and I peed my pants and that was horrendous and I was embarrassed. That's never happened to me before, but I couldn't get up on my own and I had to pee my pants and then I had to have somebody clean me up afterwards. That's what happens when you're short CNAs because one nurse can only be so many places at once. But the CNAs, it's two sets of hands, so twice as likely to get to you sooner. Uh, patients care about, is your ginger ale, get to them in time. Did they ring out for a ginger ale? Nobody brought it. They had to ring out again. Well, they're very upset, and now they're going to have bad reviews on that survey that you get, right? They might have had the best nursing care ever. Their assessments were done, their wounds, any complications were caught. They were in and out of the hospital as quickly as possible. They knew how to take their meds. They don't care. They care that the ginger ale was late because why? They're humans and that's what humans want and that's what people love in this world is that things happen and they happen quickly and whatever they want, as soon as they want it, they want it right now and, and they need it right now. So CNAs are really important, but when this, we're short CNAs, what do they tell you? Nurse, you're primary. You need to do everything for that patient. When that patient calls for ginger ale, I don't care if this person over here is having a code. They'll have to wait, but make sure you get over there. Or so-and-so has to go to the bathroom, but one of your other patients is, is coding, which means their heart is stopped, and that patient couldn't get anybody to get them to go to the bathroom, so they fall. Well, guess what? That nurse is now liable for not responding to that patient and following standard of care because they couldn't get to their patient because then it meant that this other person was for sure dead and we couldn't bring them back to life. So that's a, that's a scenario that happens, right? And I've seen it happen myself. So the CNA. CNA, we're short staff, the nurse has to pick it up. Um, how about the lab? The lab is short. 
nurse, draw your own labs. Nurse, when your labs are drawn, you have to, we don't have anybody to bring it to the lab for you um, or anybody to come pick it up. So you have to now leave the unit and walk across the hospital, which if your hospital is kind of big, it's going to take a while. And you now have to bring your specimen to the lab because no one's going to come and get it for you because they're short. Um, how about supplies? We don't have supplies. Nurses, figure it out. Do something different. Um, I mean, I don't know. Anything short of duct tape. As long as it's sterile, use it. Who cares? Uh, but figure it out because we don't have the supplies we need. Or we're short-staffed on supplies. So if you need something, you need to go to the supply room and locate somebody who might be somewhere in the hospital to unlock the door for you so that you can then get the catheter so that you can empty this patient's bladder who is like crying and screaming in pain because their bladder's full and about to explode, but you had to go all the way down and take 20 minutes to find somebody and to get a catheter so that you could bring it back to take care of them. Um, the nurse is the catch-all. The nurse is the catch-all. If a doctor missed something in the morning, the nurse has to make sure that they point it out. If there's a missed, you know, if a patient's lab results come back abnormal, it's the nurse who's supposed to catch it and call the doctor. If the doctor comes to round on the patient and didn't notice it, or make any address it, we have to double check and say, hey, what what do you want to do about this low hemoglobin? This patient's anemic. We need to give them blood. What, what do you want to do? Um, and it's our job to catch it. So we have to catch it. We're the catch-all. If we have a patient who needs to have, you know, respiratory therapy short, well, we have to do our own trait care when the respiratory therapist normally does that. Um, you know, they talk about like the mental load of women. I mean, male or female, the mental load of a nurse is also really taxing and really stressful. And we have to constantly be focusing on our job, but also making sure that everyone else is doing their job at the same time. And if they're not, then it's our job to either pull them in to do their job or to fill the hole and do that job for them. And that's stressful. It's stressful. It's stressful by itself just to be a nurse to be asked to take care of it depends on where you're at if you're in california they have mandated staffing ratios so you might be on a medical surgical floor with four patients which to me is really comfortable and safe as long as they're um nobody really needs a lot of heavy intensive care um that seems to be great and but if you're not and you're on the east coast like me you could get anywhere up to six patients which then becomes just unmanageable and if nobody is looking at the acuity of them so that means how many medications they have how many things wrong with them how much education do you have to give them are they confused and getting out of bed do you have like three or four confused patients out of your six well how can you be adequately redirecting somebody who needs a redirection every 30 seconds if you have four of them that need redirection how can you be in all four places at once it's impossible but that's what we're held to that's what we're asked to do and if you speak up and you say i don't my assignment's not safe i cannot have four patients jumping out of bed all at once and be expected to catch all four of them at the same time um you just can't you just can't. And then, I mean, never mind, you know, you get into like the intermediate care level, the ICU also, but intermediate care is like kind of one of the places where they're, they're not quite sick enough to be in the ICU. 
but they need a little bit more monitoring than if they're just on the regular floor. And it's this gray area because you can have, you know, they have all these policies that, you know, you can't do this frequent monitoring because you have three patients and you have three patients no matter what. So, I mean, it's really asking us to do things that a human couldn't do. And it's because, I'm really sorry, somebody's mowing their lawn. Um, sorry if you can hear that. Hopefully you can't. But, you know, having the nurse really be asked to take on all of these extra responsibilities, take on this mental load, get all of their work done, and still have our patients have great customer service scores, essentially, which are got, which are saying, you know, did your nurse spend time with you and teach you? Did your nurse get your ginger ale to you on time? Did, was your nurse friendly? Was your nurse, did you feel like your nurse was rushed? Um, same with the doctor. They do that at the doctor's office. They tell doctors, you have to see this many patients in an eight hour day. Well, if you break that down, they get 10 to 15 minutes with a patient in that day. And so how can you do all of those things, chart, get all of your paperwork done and do everything? You can't, you can't, unless you go really, really, really fast and don't give any care at all, or you give the care, but you just work late and, and it's, it's the stress of it all. It's the stress of it all. That is why we're burnt out. That is why nursing is one of the least healthy professions. Um, I've worked inpatient twice and both times I probably gained like 50 pounds, although I was not eating because when I took my first job overnights, um, it was the culture in the hospital that literally you weren't allowed a break. You could go into the break room and wolf down some food really quick if you had time, but you still had to be covering your patients and nobody was there to help you. And you often didn't even get to do that because the cafeteria was only open for two hours on your whole shift. And if you didn't make it down there in those two hours, um, you didn't get any food or you brought food, but you had to waste it because you couldn't even get in there to eat it. And you're leaving and you're too exhausted to even eat when you leave at 7 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. So, um, I wasn't eating, I wasn't drinking anything and I gained like 50 pounds and I was super unhealthy and it was all the stress. It was all the stress and working overnights is a stress on your body, but add all this extra stress to it. It's super unhealthy. And if you're wondering, I kind of wanted to take a minute and just kind of go through the symptoms of burnout itself and because they might surprise you. You might not even realize it. Burnout comes in stages. There's early stage burnout all the way to severe burnout where you're having real deal medical consequences from it and you're really sick and you're if you're like me, you're brought to your knees because of it. And that's exactly what happened to me. Um, so one of the major signs of burnout is fatigue. Being really tired. There's not enough rest you can do. There's not enough sleep you can do. You are just tired all the time. All the time. Um, is, are you just always tired? I know you work in the hospital for three days a week, but for at least two more of those days, you're exhausted and you don't feel like a human until at least two days after, unless, you know, the young kids that are, you know, in their early twenties graduating from school, that's awesome. They can do it. 
Um, but as you get older, it gets harder and harder and harder, and it takes longer and longer and longer to recover. And the fatigue gets worse and worse and worse. And part of that is burnout. Here's another one. Here's, here's probably the one that you'll see the most often in healthcare because people might tell you they're tired, but this, this one, this is what I've seen the most feeling apathetic or dissatisfied with your work. So you ever worked with a negative Nelly who, you know, um, you see all these nursing memes, right? And it's like the first, you know, you have your new orientee and they're like so excited and it's like maybe the baby Yoda and he's so happy and eager and like, yeah, let's do nursing. Let's learn this. Woo. And then it says by the end of your shift or by the end of orientation, you are like a like a gremlin right and you're you're just you just hate everything and you're just so negative um or i've seen the meme where it's um the joker walking away from the hospital and the hospital's blown up and he's like happy and he's like yep this is just another day okay if you work in healthcare how many of you can relate and have seen any of that i mean i used to do it all the time I think my first thing started was I'm opening a donut shop. People would be like, hey, MJ, how are you doing? Donut shop's opening next Sunday. Just saying. And I was having like a really bad day, crying in the bathroom. But what I would say is, yep, it's happening. Or a patient would code and I'd be like, all right, let's let's do it. You go through the motion and you don't feel anything. Um, that's a huge red flag. That's a huge red flag. Or if you start to notice that what you're, you're complaining more about your job or so-and-so is complaining more about their job. That's a sign that they're starting to get burnt out and they might think that they can handle it. And they're like, yeah, I'm just going to push through it. But as you'll see, like this just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, as you go, another symptom is headaches. So tension headaches because you're stressed right? And when you're stressed, I don't know about you, but with me, when I'm stressed, I hold that in my upper back and my shoulders. And if I get stressed for so long, it ends up moving into the muscles in the back of my head and it just spreads and it becomes this just horrible throbbing pressure type of headache. Um, and they can be debilitating and be really bad. Um, Burnout also looks like changes to your diet or sleep. I mentioned that when I worked in the hospital, I didn't get to eat. I wasn't sleeping very well. Um, even when I went to day shift, I still wasn't sleeping very well. Even when I worked as a home health nurse, I got to the point where I just was so stressed out and so scared and just so exhausted from fighting with everyone about everything. You know, I needed PPE to go see this person. I'm not doing a COVID swab without proper protection because I'm not going to go see Grandma Susie and give Grandma Susie COVID. We're not doing this. This isn't safe. And constantly fighting, constantly having that stress, constantly not being heard, constantly being told, well, this nurse will go do it. I don't know what's wrong with you. You just get in there and do it. Um, it really took a huge toll on me. A huge toll on me. And... I stopped being able to eat like I used to. I stopped being able to sleep. And then what did that lead to? That led to cravings of sugar because you, you got you got to keep moving somewhere. If you've got patients to see and you've got another couple hours left, nothing like a candy bar to give you a little boost of sugar and energy to go. Um, super unhealthy. Um, it led to so much coffee consumption. Um, so much coffee gallons and gallons of coffee to get through. Um, 
and all of those things. So if you add changes, di diet changes, sleep changes, all that I mentioned, and the increased cortisol from the stress. And so cortisol is a hormone and hormones are what regulate your body. Hormones are what tell your body to be in fight or flight. Hormones are what tell your body to relax and be at peace and rest and sleep. And if you mess with that, it has real consequences, it has real consequences. So being in fight or flight, one of the things, um, diabetes is one and overweight. And that's partly because you are, you're craving sugar, but also the fight or flight of it is making your body make its own sugar, its own glucose, because you, you gotta, you gotta vamp that up. You gotta get going. You gotta get moving because you're fighting a lion. It's not really a lion. It's just your assignment that you're nervous about going into work the next day. Um, it's just all these patients are jumping out of bed and you can't get to them and you're afraid someone's going to fall and then it's going to be your fault and you're going to get in trouble with work and then you might have a lawsuit and all of this other stuff and it's the charting because if you don't chart it didn't happen and all these things happen and you want to make sure that everybody knows what happened and your charting is good so that they can get better care tomorrow and you also don't want to get in trouble but you also have to get all of this stuff done in time but you also have to assess these patients but also this person's coding so now forget all of my plans i have to focus on this patient that was stressful right that was like a snapshot into like one minute of inside a nurse's brain i think um and it really 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 takes a toll and over time it takes it takes a toll and what what is how do you heal from burnout right you hear a lot of people talking about you know making sure that you're healing and you're taking care of yourself and do all of these things and you can feel better and burnout won't get you well if you're in a system that isn't conducive to you taking care of yourself and is only goal is to see how much they can squeeze out of you because you are the sponge and you're dried up and they're just ringing and ringing you out and bringing you out trying to get one more drop of water and you're like i got nothing left to give i've got nothing left to give i am on fumes i'm about to crash or maybe i am crashing i crashed it does lead to that eventually um i hit my burnout in covid I was at my breaking point. I was in a job that was toxic, but I put up with it because I don't know, in my mind, it wasn't as toxic as I thought. Like it was maybe the early stages of burnout where I was like, yeah, I can push through this because, you know, if I just work really late and really long hours, I can give the care that I need. And I feel like I'm a good nurse. My patients are getting good care. And yeah, I might be charting until midnight, one o'clock in the morning and going back the next day to do it all over again. I might be seeing way more patients than I should, but I'm giving them the time that they need and the care they need. So in my mind at the time, this is my best option. It was better than the hospital. It was better than other places I've worked. So I stuck with it. But in COVID, when they really started taking away personal protective equipment, refusing personal protective equipment, telling me to go into a home of somebody sick with COVID symptoms, telling me that they are, I can't have personal protective equipment because they haven't been swabbed yet and telling me to go to their house and swab them. And once I swab them, then anyone going in the house after can have personal protective equipment because they are, are at risk of getting COVID. But somehow magically 
that first visit where I'm doing the swab, it means that they, I wasn't at risk, or maybe they just didn't care that I was at risk, right? And they didn't wanna to have to give me the PPE because they were, quote, following the CDC guidelines. That is ridiculous. And that was what I was dealing with on a daily basis. And no, I never did um, knowingly expose anybody to COVID or go against what I believed was unsafe practices because there's a law that governs my nursing license that says that I, I'm not allowed to do that. And it's my job to speak up if something is unsafe, if an assignment's unsafe, if someone asks me to do something unsafe, it's my job to speak up and say it's unsafe. However, management doesn't really like when you do that. They just want you to go along with whatever they ask you to do. And if you lose your license because of it, then, oh, well, they'll just find another nurse. That's that's how it is. And I wasn't about to lose my license. And it wasn't even about that. I wasn't about to do harm. I wasn't about to make other people sick. I wasn't about to be the one that has to wake up the next morning knowing I just exposed somebody with end-stage heart failure to COVID. And if they catch it, they're going to die. And it's going to be my fault. I could not live with myself. I couldn't, I would rather lose my job. I would rather open a donut shop. I would rather do anything except that. I could not live with myself if I had ever, ever, ever caused that, knowingly or unknowingly. So I pushed back and that's just who I am. That's who I've always been as a person, as a nurse. If you ask me to do something that I don't believe is right, I'm gonna ask you to help me understand why I need to do that help me help make it right in my mind. And if you can't do that, then I'm not going to do it. And I was constantly pushing back and pushing back and pushing back and they didn't like it. So they ended up really giving me a hard time and really actively pushing me out, trying to get me to quit. However, I needed a job. So I had to keep doing what I did and showing up and my patients still loved me. And that's what kept me going. And I ended up catching COVID twice because all of these symptoms, the stress, the lack of sleep, the poor diet, the no exercise, all of that really wipes out your immune system and your immune system can't function. So when I was exposed to COVID, I caught it the first time. I healed. It was fine. I was out of work for like a week or two and I was back. No real complications. I think I had like some palpitations um, which are like uh, funny heartbeats, uh, but nothing really terrible. And I was back at it um, after I recovered. And then fast forward to a year later, no, maybe not even a year later, I caught it again because the stress just got worse. Like I said, they were treating me really horribly and pushing me out. And I was going home crying. I was crying midway through my day. I was crying in the shower. I wasn't sleeping at night because I was waking up to bad dreams and crying. And it was really bad. And I caught COVID again because my immune system was down. It never bounced back. I, my body, my lifestyle, the stress, all of it just wiped it out. And I caught COVID, but this time I was sick for six weeks. Um, it was really bad. I had pneumonia. Um, I have pictures that I took of somebody brought me coffee and my fingertips are all blue. I didn't even know. I was like, oh, lack of oxygen. Awesome. That, that explains a lot. Um, I, I healed to a point and then I ended up really having a hard time with energy 
And it ended up being an issue. Uh, I had long COVID and I had some cardiac complications to that, to the point where um, I did end up losing the home health job I had that caused me to get sick. Um, and I tried to, I recovered to a point and tried to go back and work in the hospital for a while because they just missed people. I just miss being a nurse. I just want to be a nurse. And um, I ended up getting really sick again really quickly because of the demands and the stress of the job and all of it started to spiral again. And I had a couple episodes of chest pain and then fainting. And my boss said, okay, you're out. You can't go back in. You can't do this. Um, find another way. And I just knew that my story, I'm not alone. And I know that there are other people out there that are going through the same thing. You might be whatever stage of burnout you're at. Um, I think you're... I think you're probably experiencing it. You might not realize it. This might be the wake up call that shows it to you, but I want you to know that you're not alone. And that's why I'm sharing this. Um, some of the interventions that they tell you to do, um, I will tell you, um, one is to build breaks in your schedule. Make sure you're taking your break. Um, it's a law. I mean, I don't know where OSHA's been all this time. They have not certainly been checking hospitals to make sure that staff is actually getting their break or if the hospital is just forcing the paid deduction. I don't really know, but perhaps you contact OSHA if you need to. Um, or if you're in a hospital with really bad culture, maybe you go to a different hospital, right? But you need to be taking your breaks. You need to pee when your bladder's full. You need to have a bowel movement when you need to. You need to drink water. Our bodies are made of 90 something percent water, depending on where you look, 97, 95, whatever. Our bodies are mostly water. If we don't have water, we can't do a lot of things. We run out of energy. We, our brains don't work properly. Our bodies don't work properly. You, our kidneys, you get kidney issues if you don't drink enough water. So drink your water and eat. Make sure you're eating. Make sure you're eating. Make sure you're eating healthy food. And pack your food because as we, as I said, you might not be able to get to the cafeteria. Pack your food, eat your food, do what you have to do. Make sure you're taking the breaks. Make sure you're taking care of you first because after you come back from that break and you have had water and you have peed and you have eaten, you're going to take care of your patients better and you're going to get through that charting a lot easier. Another thing is exercise. Yes, I know we're on our feet for 12 hours a day, but it's not... It's a stressful 12 hours a day. You need to find exercise that you enjoy. I don't mean go to the gym and lift weights if you hate lifting weights. I don't mean go for a run if you would only run if you were chasing a cheeseburger. I mean find something you love to do. Do you love to dance? Awesome. Dance. Do you love to kayak? Awesome. Kayak. Do you love to hike? Go hiking. Go skiing. Go do something for fun because that is going to shut off cortisol and that is going to raise endorphins and that's going to reverse all of the stress that you have been going through, through your work schedule. Uh, mindfulness practice is also huge. Um, I know some people are like, I don't want to meditate. I don't know how to shut my brain off. My brain just goes and goes and goes. That's not the goal. The goal is to notice what your brain's doing. So just think of it as a couple minutes, start with like five minutes. You can go on YouTube and Look up guided meditations if you need to listen to someone's voice or for some meditation music. There's lots of different apps out there that you can use. And even just sitting in silence and just paying attention to what thoughts are in your brain. 
there might not all be true and they might be contributing to all of your stress and you might be surprised what you find there. Um, but definitely, definitely doing a mindfulness practice really helps. Um, and establish a daily routine. Uh, that one's really hard. But trying to stick to, you wake up at certain time, wake up at your time. If you work overnights, do you have to transition back and forth? Or can you sleep part of the day on your days off so that it's not so much of a transition and um, your sleep-wake schedule isn't so disrupted? Um, yeah, try to keep your work day, you know, take your break around the same time if you can. Um, it's all about work-life balance and get therapy if you need it, right? If you're like, oh gosh, I don't even know where to begin. I am just so depressed. I'm so traumatized. I have so much going on and maybe you can't do the peacefulness practice yet because, or the mindfulness practice because you're afraid of what's in your mind. Well, that's when you need a therapist who can guide you and take you there safely and help you start the process. There is a time and place for this stuff and maybe that's it. Um, but yeah, definitely workplace balance trying to add more fun into your life on your days off, do something just for the joy of doing it. Um, that really helps, but breaking it down really burnout, I feel like is the cause of what we're calling a staffing or a nursing crisis in healthcare because nurses are burnt out. And I've given you a snapshot of the stress but that isn't even all of it. Um, there's a lot more, um, and there's a lot more that goes into this. This is very dynamic and it's across the board. Doctors are stressed out and getting burnt out. Uh, therapists, um, CNAs, even, um, workers in other professions as well. And we have to take care of ourselves. And that's where this idea of travel nursing that's why it's so appealing because think about it so if you're in a hospital you have management they're telling you to do things they're putting all this pressure on you and if you work and you're part of the hospital then you got to be part of these committees and you have to do all this extra work which you have to find the time to do because no one's going to give you extra time in the day if you come in on your day off you don't get paid for it you just have to come in and you have to do these committees and you have all of these, all of this politics, all of the extra added stress on top of a very stressful job. And what's travel nursing? Travel nursing is you get to go work somewhere for a set amount of weeks. It could be eight weeks. It could be 13 weeks, 16 weeks, whatever you sign up for, you decide. And if you hate it there and the culture's bad and you're treated poorly and you can't take it another minute, you know, I got only a few three more weeks left and you tell your agency, I'm never coming back to this hospital again. And they switch you. If you like it, you stay on. Um, yeah, you get more pay, but honestly, every travel nurse I've ever spoken to has not said that they are a travel nurse for the pay because there is no amount of money that you can pay a nurse. You can pay anybody to jeopardize their health. There really isn't. And that's what it is, is we're jeopardizing our health to come to work. So why not have a little bit of control over it and to maybe we try out this facility and this facility and we're not part of the politics and you can show up and love people and take a break from that place 
I know travel nurses get a break in between assignments and this different scenery by itself really helps. Um, some people will go like to a beachy community if they like that. Some people are like, it's winter, I like to ski. I'm gonna take an assignment up here to ski. And so it really is conducive to this like work-life balance and all of the things that we tell you and what I just told you that you need to be doing in your life to survive burnout, right? And that's the appeal. That's why there's so many travelers. People think it's the money, but it's not because my local hospital has a $25,000 sign-on bonus. You can go there and start working, and as long as you stay for X amount of time, you get $25,000. Awesome. They're still short-staffed. People aren't jumping on that because it's not about the money. It's about burnout. It's about this. It's about their work-life balance. It's about their health. It's about their mental health, and it's about survival. And until we really take a step back and we realize that and we realize that we have actual humans, actual people working, actual people taking care of people, humans with hearts and emotions and souls and needs. And what does Oprah say? Or, or what do they say? People, all people want is to be seen and heard. That's all they want. And we can't do that for them. We understand that, but we can't do it. And it's causing burnout and it's causing it's causing us not to be able to to do it anymore. And I'm going to leave you with that. Um, I really hope you enjoyed this. I hope this really helped to open some of your eyes. If you are a nurse, if you are any other healthcare professional, if you're not in the healthcare profession, maybe now you have more compassion for what they're dealing with and what they're going through. Uh, maybe you resonated with my story and now you know that you're not alone. Um, definitely my number one takeaway is to take care of you. You are no good to anybody if you cannot take care of yourself. And if you cannot take care of yourself where you are working, then maybe you start looking somewhere else. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think every nurse should, can leave the bedside because we do need nurses. We need nurses. Hospitals cannot operate without nurses. Nursing homes cannot operate without nurses. We can't. We just can't. So nurses, we need to be able to stay nurses. So I think somebody needs to take care of the nurses. I think the system needs to bring back its humanity and start loving people instead of pinching pennies and making money. And with that, I'm going to leave you... Um, if you have a Tales from the Trenches, it's been a little bit since I've been able to share anybody's story. So make sure if you have a tale, maybe it's a burnout, maybe it's of your own experience. I want to hear from you. Um, I will leave my email. It's mj at mjdlegalnurseconsulting.com. Send your email. You're, you will be anonymous. I will not share your information, but I want your story to be told. I want people to hear your story. I, you, you matter. Your story matters. And like I always say, we can't move forward. We can't get better unless we take a look at where we're at and what's, what's happening. And that's what we do here every day. So until next time, my friends.